The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Why does everybody think that I'm scared of girls? Because you're a chicken. You're oh, a no. chicken. Cuckoo-ka-cha! Cuckoo-ka-cha! What are you doing? Michael yeah. and women? A Look, I haven't found the right girl. When I do, I will ask her out. Has anyone in this family ever even seen a chicken? I got the perfect thing. That's enough. Oh, come on! That was a classic scene from the third season of Arrested Development, which aired eight years ago. Since its cancellation in 2006, fans had been clamoring for a fourth season, and like a stubborn cockroach, the clamoring would not die. The fans thought, hey, if Family Guy can get canceled and then come back, why can't Arrested Development? The years went on, and it seemed more and more unlikely that they could reunite the large ensemble cast to even film a TV movie, let alone an entire television season. Then Netflix original programming came along and changed everything. It was here that Arrested Development found a new home, and its fourth season premiered eight years after its third season finale. Notice I didn't say its first episode of the fourth season. Every episode of its fourth season was released at the same time for audiences to watch. Today, on this debut episode, I'm going to talk about the success of Netflix's original programs with a focus on Arrested Development, House of Cards, and Orange is the New Black. Later on, I'll also give my review and commentary on a summer movie that came out on home video this September, Star Trek Into Darkness. Oh, and what's the name of this show? This is Art's review and commentary. This is Ark. God bless television. To the movies. To good movies. To every possible kind. I am the danger. I am the one who knocks. Is that a hair gel? I'll be back. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! These are their stories. From now on, I order you, watch more television than ever before. That's right. This is Arts Review and Commentary, and I'm your host, Omar Latiri. Thank you all so much for listening. I can't begin to tell you how much it means to me that I can do something like this. Let me ask you something. Do you love movies? Do you love television? Music? Video games? Are you someone that thinks that they don't make them like they used to? Are you someone that thinks that it's never been better and the best is yet to come? Do you get upset when people enjoy things you think are dumb? Are you one of those people that enjoys dumb things? If you answered yes to any of those questions, then this show is for you. You have to understand how much I love pop culture. You will not find a bigger advocate for good entertainment than right here. And with sites streaming content over the internet, all that entertainment is more available than ever before. How available? <laughs> According to several sources in North America, Netflix streaming accounts for a full third of internet traffic. That's more than people using the internet for Facebook, iTunes, Hulu, and even piracy combined. This year, much of that traffic was tied to the original series that Netflix produced and distributed. Now, web-only original series didn't start with Netflix. There have been quite a few 5-10 to 10 minute episodic shorts like The Guild or Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. 
There's a great thriller series called The Confession, starring Kiefer Sutherland that Hulu distributed a couple of years ago. You can't find it on Hulu anymore. Netflix has it now. Now, with these shorts, each episode was released one at a time, just like a traditional television show or miniseries. But with House of Cards, Netflix introduced a season of full-length, premium cable quality shows for its Netflix subscribers. And not just one episode at a time, the entire season was released all at once. To illustrate just how revolutionary this practice is, here is Jules Winfield to explain how television is traditionally made. Well, the way they pick TV shows is they make one show. That show's called a pilot. Then they show that one show to the people who pick shows. And on the strength of that one show, they decide if they want to make more shows. Some get chosen and become television programs. Some don't become nothing. Thank you, Mr. Winfield. Couldn't have said it better. What Netflix did was to trust the creators of a show to bring them a finished product. Speaking at a British television convention in Edinburgh, the star of House of Cards, Kevin Spacey, remarked on the success of releasing an entire season at once. Clearly the success of the Netflix model, releasing the entire season of House of Cards at once, proved one thing. The audience wants the control. They want the freedom. If they want to binge, as they've been doing on House of Cards and lots of other shows, then we should let them binge. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have stopped me on the street and said, thanks, you suck three days out of my life. <laughs> and who hasn't done that at one time or another? These days, who hasn't, on a snowy weekend, snuggled up to watch an entire season of one show or another? Some watch more than others, but here's the takeaway from that. When did this phenomenon of season binging become something not unusual? The landscape of personal entertainment is changing rapidly, and Kevin Spacey remarks on that. If you're watching a film on your television, is it no longer a film because you're not watching it in a theater? If you watch TV show on your iPad, is it no longer a TV show? The device and the length are irrelevant. The labels are useless. The ubiquity of personal entertainment means that you can watch whatever you want, whenever you want. Is there a danger from this omnipresent entertainment? I say it's only dangerous if you're not aware of its existence. Television, movies, video games, they're all art. And like any consumable, it is the responsibility of the consumer to regulate how much or how little he or she takes in. And with half the internet traffic taken up by Netflix and YouTube, there are a lot of consumers. Here's Kevin Spacey again. And the audience has spoken. They want stories. They're dying for them. They're rooting for us to give them the right thing. And they will talk about it, binge on it, carry it with them on the bus and to the hairdresser, force it on their friends, tweet, blog, Facebook, make fan pages, silly gifs, and God knows what else about it. Engage with it with a passion and an intimacy that a blockbuster movie could only dream of. And all we have to do is give it to them. I would go one step further and say that the audience doesn't just want stories, but they also want characters. And while House of Cards has great characters, its emphasis lies on story. Orange is the New Black, however, is a Netflix original that is all about its various characters. Yes, the characters seem to embody certain stereotypes in a women's prison story, but the depth given to these characters has to be seen in order to be appreciated. 
Now, of the three original series that I've watched on Netflix, Orange is the New Black is the most like a traditional television show. Its first episode is heavy on the shock factor to lure a viewer in, with a twist ending to keep the viewer back for episode two, and the season finale ends in a typical cliffhanger. That brings us to the fourth season of Arrested Development. The only way I can describe this season is that its episodes are like a concept album. Each episode works well on its own, but the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. There are jokes in early episodes that don't make sense until they are seen a second time after finishing the entire season. Seemingly random encounters actually become significant after watching the whole thing. It's a set of episodes that not only feels like a reward for people who were fans of the first three seasons, but watching the fourth season a second time also feels like a reward in and of itself. When we come back, my review and commentary on Star Trek Into Darkness. Hi, this is Buzz Burbank. The new fall TV season's getting underway, and I'm here to help you get ready for it. New shows on broadcast and cable networks are making for an interesting season, and I can help you find the hits and avoid the misses. Join me and Mark Ronick on the Realm Network for this premium special, just 99 cents. It's my annual fall preview, available now at buzzburbank.com. I looked up John Harrison. Until a year ago, he didn't exist. John Harrison was a fiction created the moment I was awoken by your Admiral Marcus to help him advance his cause. A smokescreen to conceal my true identity. My name is Khan. Yes, that's right. Just like in 1982, the second Star Trek movie gave us Khan as our villain. That's not to say that this movie was unenjoyable. Far from it. This movie had a lot going for it. Committed acting, good pacing, and lots of great effects. But in a time when audiences are complaining that Hollywood isn't making original stories anymore, it's hard to defend against that accusation when you're not only recycling storylines, you're also lifting entire passages of dialogue from a previous movie. You see, I thought the whole point of a reboot of the franchise was to tell original stories with these characters. Now with what essentially amounts to a remake of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, it's not that hard to cynically say that the next storyline will involve humpback whales. But that aside, here's my biggest complaint in an otherwise very fun adventure. If you don't know who Khan as a character was during the original run of Star Trek back in the 60s, you probably won't care either way what I'll have to say. If you do know who Khan is, then this won't be new to you, but I'm going to say it anyway. The character of Khan came out in an original series episode called Space Seed. Here's how he's described in that episode. From the northern India area, I'd guess. Probably a Sikh. They're the most fantastic warriors. Now, I'm a pretty forgiving person. I can understand that there may not have been a lot of Indian actors in the U.S. in 1966, so I can forgive casting Mexican Ricardo Montalban as a northern Indian. But it's 2013. There are plenty of Indian actors. Bollywood churns out more movies than Hollywood does. Look, I'm not saying that Benedict Cumberbatch is a bad actor. It's just that someone like Naveen Andrews from Lost or Sendhil Ramamurthy from Heroes could have done a great job as well. The casting of a white British actor as Khan is just silly in this day and age. And the original Khan can tell you how I'm feeling about this casting. Don't insult my intelligence. Right. Now, 
I'm trusting this franchise to deliver quality results like the 2009 Star Trek. Just be a little bit smarter about how you cast your characters and be a little bit smarter about how you tell your stories. That's it for this episode of Arts Review and Entertainment. Be sure to catch the next ARC episode where I'll go over the works of Joss Whedon in anticipation of the new TV series, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'd like to thank Mark Ronick, Lowell Melser, Buzz Burbank, and Jordan Rose for designing the logo. Like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash arcreviews. Follow the show on Twitter at arcreviews. And you can email me at artsreviewandentertainment at gmail.com. My name is Omar Latiri, and this is ARC. The preceding presentation was brought to you by The Realm Network. 